Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Steph Jagger is the author of Everything Left to Remember, My Mother, Our Memories, and A Journey Through the Rocky Mountains. Steph is a sought-after mentor and coach whose offerings guide people toward a deeper understanding of themselves and their stories. Her work, including speaking and facilitating, lies at the intersection of love and loss, the nature of deep remembrance, and the personal journey of recreation. Steph grew up in Vancouver, Canada, and currently lives and works on Bainbridge Island, Washington. Everything Left to Remember is Steph's second book. Her first, Unbound, was published in 2017. Welcome, Steph. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Everything Left to Remember, My Mother, Our Memories, and a Journey Through the Rocky Mountains. Well, thanks for having me, Zibby. I'm so pleased and honored to be here. 
Oh, your your book is beautiful. Your relationship with your mom, the way you wrote about it, the ambition of going hiking, not hiking, but camping rather, and going on this big trip with your mom who was who had all time. I mean, it's just um, it was really beautiful. Really, really beautiful. Thank you. Maybe you can tell everyone a little more about why you decided to write this memoir. And yeah, just start with that. Gosh, in a lot of ways, I feel like the memoir decided to write me. Um, you know, yeah, the, the book itself is is about a journey that I took. I mean, the backbone of it is is a journey I took with my mom about 10 months after her diagnosis with early onset Alzheimer's. And I took her camping. We we did a road trip and we traveled through a handful of different national parks of the West. And we're, we're camping, as you said. We did do a little bit of hiking. We did some horseback riding and some whitewater rafting. And I really, at the time, thought before her memory goes like in entirety, I, I wanted to kind of like mine her for her story, you know, and and kind of get her to tell me all of the things that she hadn't told me, you know, through, through our life. And I think as I went on the trip itself with her, it was such a realization that really what I was looking for was me, was my story. And, and to let my mom and to let our moms have their life and their stories. And that even if we don't end up knowing the entirety of, of them doesn't mean we can't you know, learn the entirety of our own interiority. So when I did the trip with her, I didn't go anticipating that I would write about it. Mm-hmm. And then when I was on the way home, quite literally, like on the flight home, my mom was settled into the seat in the plane, ne- the seat next to me on the plane and coloring in her coloring book. And I started madly like writing in the notes app on my phone. And by the time we landed, I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> I think this is probably a book. So I I sat down to start writing it shortly after that. And it really felt more like calling, like I had to, than, oh, I think this would make a great story. And I'd really love to, you know, write about it in that, in that kind of way. So I do feel like in many ways it, it wrote me. And I, and I also love, you know, a lot, I get that a lot. People are like, oh my gosh, the undertaking of someone with Alzheimer's on a road trip like that. I think it's really important. Like a lot of us have this view of Alzheimer's and dementia. The image we have is late stage, mm-hmm. often old age and late stage combined. And I think it's really important to start giving a view of Alzheimer's and dementia that happens to younger people and the early stages. Usually in the early stages, people are still trying to like hide or cover up or there's a lot of shame. And so actually my mom was very... I mean, she was Jane Fonda fit, first of all, going into this thing. And and she was, you know, pretty with it. And so it wasn't like I have a lot of videos of her on that trip. And it wasn't, I think, what people imagine in their heads, like, wait a second, you took an Alzheimer's patient who we usually think of as like 80 or 90, like, and and in many ways, like maybe not able to move, et cetera you took them whitewater rafting. It's like, no, no, I took a, you know, woman in her late sixties who was very fit at the very beginning stages of her journey. Yeah. So it was, it was wonderful. And and I did learn a lot about her, but I learned so much more about me. It's amazing. And you're such a good advocate for her. I mean, in the whitewater rafting that you were talking about, like, you, you know, you're just like quietly like, okay, so she's not going to remember any of these instructions. And let me just like, 
set the stage for you. You say to the guide and he's like, all right, can she paddle? You know, here, I'll just keep her right behind me. So I feel like you so nicely like took her along in everything and just made the accommodations you needed without making it like a huge deal everywhere you went. Yeah. I mean, that, that was important. And that was, that was a journey for me, actually. I mean, the first, I remember the first interaction, I took her horseback riding and at that stage, it was a little bit taboo, even inside of my family, to say outright she had Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And so even that was a journey. Like I started off by saying, you know, she has some memory issues, et cetera. And then by the end of the trip, it was like, oh, I should just tell people like that. Like there's no, th- there's nothing bad about this. This mm-hmm. is just like saying somebody has diabetes or this is just like, you know, so I became more and more, you know, really, to be honest, like more and more honest through yeah. the whole journey with with her with the actual situation that was going on but also with myself which is i think the sign of any good what what is going to turn into memoir is like oh you you are becoming more truthful even with yourself and mm-hmm. even as you travel through this so that was that was a beautiful part of it but yeah it was important that some of the guys as they're going through all of the like yeah. safety <laughs> that they know she's not going to remember she's not going to remember your name she's not going to remember the name of the horse she's not going to remember anything yeah yeah and why did your family not want to call it what it was was it like denial or what do you think it was about you no know, I, I think there's a couple of different things you know alzheimer's and dementia and i think um various different degenerative brain diseases it's starting to change but certainly you know in the past They've, they've, for, for whatever different reasons come with, it's, it seems like a bit more shame of our, our brain isn't functioning or, you know, the, the person is right there and they know, they know you, but they can't remember. And I think they, they sometimes have shame about that. And so I, I think this is a specific category of diseases that people carry a lot, there's a lot more of it that is hidden, not to say that there aren't other diseases that people kind of hide and don't want to talk about. I think that's the second thing is that, you know, our, our private health journeys, there's a lot of people that don't want to make those public. I think there's another component within families that, you know, there's such a deep grappling with what is going to happen. What am I going to lose the anticipatory grief involved that, it kind of feels like, well, if I could just prolong talking about it, maybe I won't hit the grief so soon. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's a lot of hesitancy to even say the words because that means you've got to start dealing with any sort of grief and loss that comes up. And I'm, you know, I, I'm a memoir writer. I, I'm and a coach. Like I'm okay saying the words. You know, I think it's, you know, my journey through grief has been like most people. Um, pretty excruciating, but there's also been some gifts. I think it was Brandy Carlisle that said, you know, mysticism is the most practical thing in the world. The only thing about it is it's it's found smack in the middle of grief. Mm. And so I feel like, you know, that, that conscious grieving as opposed to like unconscious denial of it has been a big part of my journey that I, I do my best to embrace. So I honor everybody else's journey. Like, it is excruciating, but I think that's one of the big reasons that people don't like to talk about it is like, oh, the more I talk about it, the more I've got to face it. So tell me your whole journey into writing to begin with, like how you got mm. into everything, like take me back. Okay. Way back. I've always, always loved writing. Like I was 
a little girl in my closet making up stories. You know, I, I was, I always journaled. I, I always loved storytelling and writing. I never went to school for it. I didn't do an MFA. I didn't do any of that. So when I started to travel a lot in my 20s, I just noticed myself writing more and more and more and more just in my journals. Eventually, I, when I did one of my big trips, I started in a little like update newsletter for like my family and three best friends. And and that actually turned into my first book, Unbound, which is about a ski journey that I took. So for me, I noticed that the combination of of travel, specifically travel that's nature focused, words just end up spilling out of me. And so when I got back from that first ski journey, which was what the first book was about, I actually found, you know, this is a great story. Before I left on that trip, I fell down a rabbit hole on the internet. I was not a writer. I thought you were going to say you fell down. I was like, oh, no. No, no, no. I I like like, tumbled down a rabbit hole on the internet. And I landed on, for whatever reason, I was from Vancouver, so I think it must have been through Danielle Laporte. But I landed on Linda Sievertson's webpage, The Book Mama. And I like fell in love. And I was like, well, it's too bad that I'm not a writer. Otherwise, I would do one of these retreats. And then I just, I, you know, shut it down. And went on with my life. And I went on my ski trip and I moved to the States. I originally was from Canada. I'm from Canada. And, and I just kept getting a knock on the door to like write and write and write. So I started in earnest to write my first book. And then that summer, I similarly fell down a rabbit hole and landed on Linda Sievertson's page. And I was like, I recognize this. <laughs> and I had this flashback to like, oh my gosh, this was a webpage I'd seen years ago. Like I need to know this woman. And a week later, she had started the beautiful writers group, the online portion of the writers group. And I signed up for that. And, and I had was well into writing my first memoir. And, uh, and then it was quite honestly, that first book, this is a rare story, but it was like a magic carpet ride. It was like, I did a proposal in a month. I got an agent. The book sold the next month. It was very quick. And so there was, I do feel like Linda has been an angel for me in that way. We have been in contact since since early days of me being in that writing group. So, you know, the, for me, it's just writing pours out of me when I travel. And I now can get a pretty quick sense of when something wants to become, you know, kind of a larger story. And it's just... I don't know. That's the way of expressing my own interiority. You know, when I go out into the natural world and I'm surrounded by an exterior awe and beauty and like a larger unspoken story, it just seems to be like, okay, that's a match for what I feel like my insides are like. Mm-hmm. Now, how do I translate that experience? So yeah, all wild and not quote unquote trained and not MFA and I don't know how to use grammar and all of that stuff. Thank God for editors. Grammarly is there for you. I feel like this should right, be right, sponsored. Right. I mean, not sponsored by Grammarly. Yeah. Although I should call them. But anyway, I mean, I should go back and figure out like what percent of people I've had on this podcast actually have MFAs because I don't think it's that high. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. I think there's like a certain, I mean, I can't imagine more than 10% if I had to guess, right. maybe five to 10%. Right. I don't know. I don't think it's, I don't think the formal training is what makes you a writer. It's that's what makes yeah. you that, you know, that's mostly craft, right? It's the, the in- yes. story yeah, is inside, but exactly, exactly. Not, not to minimize, but you know, 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I, that's what I've always thought of is, is myself as, as more of a storyteller. I do have a note, a screenshot of a note. It's on my computer, a screenshot of a note from one of my high school English teachers saying like, never stop writing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this was a storyteller. Like I used to turn every assignment, no matter what the subject was into a creative writing assignment. I remember being in university and receiving like a C mark and being like, the only reason I passed you is because, you know, you did not do the assignment, but this is beautiful writing. (laughs) Okay. I did. I did that too in a history class. I did like, um, like a historical fiction, something (laughs) You know, like instead of, and I was like, let me, let me make this into something I want to do. By the way, uh, Linda was on this podcast very recently and she had Uh me on her podcast and yeah, I have her book. It's she's beautiful writers. She's great. Yes. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's a beautiful braiding of a multitude of stories. I don't know how she managed to do it in one book. It was amazing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because Even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Yeah. So have you found that percolating feeling for your next project yet? Yes. You know, this book was supposed to come out in 2021. Hello, COVID. I think my pages were due March 2020. Okay. I handed them in and was about to like take myself on a little like, congratulations, you completed your second book retreat. 
and the retreat got canceled. And I thought, oh, okay. And and then of course everything got pushed out. So there was a big gap between when I handed pages in and the book coming out. And and I did start writing in that time. So there is there's definitely more. You know, what I what I'm working on now is similarly it's memoir, but we were, you know, it wasn't travel. Like what I said before mm-hmm. to you, I'm like, oh my gosh, I always write when I travel. You know, we were always we were landlocked. We were here at our houses. And so this feels to me a little bit more like the potential of a, a memoir of my imagination. Like everything is true, but it all happened inside of my head. Like, is that a <laughs> memoir? Is it not? Is it fiction? Is it not? So there is some, what I would call like pretty experimental stuff going on. And I feel no, I just feel no rush around it. I think after my experience, after publishing both books is like six months after publication, I get this, this itch of like, oh my gosh, I have to know what's next. And I've really tried to resist that this go round of like, you know, just let the divine timing of it be the divine timing of it. You don't need to rush. You don't need to like, we've all been through a fair bit and it's been moving in these weird kaleidoscopic, like sometimes it feels like life is moving very slow over the last three years. Sometimes it like feels like it's moving at lightning speed. So I've just been trying to pay attention to the, like what the book wants to be and, and how quickly it wants to move. So so we will see, but there is some experimental writing going on in the background. Interesting. All right. <laughs> going back to your journey and this book, Everything Left to Remember, when you say you've learned more about yourself than anything else, when you have like, when you reflect back on sort of the takeaways and how you changed as a person or how you, all of that, what are some of the main things that you got out of that? I, I think the biggest thing, if I was to to kind of sum it up, would be this journey and the writing of it felt to me like the completion of initiation into archetypal mother. And so what I what I mean by that is it felt to me when I when I was moving through that like a very kind of if I'm speaking archetypally like a very maiden thing to demand you know more from my mom especially at that time like oh you've just received this diagnosis now give me everything mm-hmm. that, that feels to me as i look back like a very maiden request and and also uh, how human like a request out of like desperation and grief and fear of loss and i feel the journey that i that i went on really moved me into archetypal mother which to me the quintessential question is what will you allow to be created through you that could be businesses that could be children that could be you know love that could be words that could be you know there's so many different ways that we as women get to answer that question and answer that call but that really felt like you know turn the lens inward for a moment, like dear maiden, put down your swords uh, uh, that you're carrying and kind of marking the external world up and turn internally and, and quest for what is it truly that you would like to be created through you? And what kind of energy do you want? And what is the story that wants to come through you? And then, you know, of course, that moves into, you know, how do you nurture that into actual being? So that really feels like 
the journey. I mean, my first book is inarguably a maiden's voyage. Um, and I love that book. And I love that younger version of me that was so kind of fierce in the world. And this feels like a real movement into, you know, including that ferocity, but kind of a softening into creation. Mm, I love that. Do you have memoirs that you are obsessed with or that you love or that made you want to be a memoirist or any of that? Oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like anything Terry Tempest Williams uh, and Sue Monk Kidd and Robin Wall Kimmerer, I I could go on in that kind of category. There's a blending of philosophy and spirituality and ecology and nature that I'm absolutely obsessed with. I just read um, Chen Julie Wang's book, Beautiful Mm -hmm. Country. That is unbelievable. How she carried the voice of the child through was just unbelievable. Um, EJ Ko, who lives in Seattle here, she wrote a book um, called The Magical Language of Others, which I read just after finishing this, my book. And I was like, I was like, finished my book. I'm like all proud of my evolution as a writer. And I read her book and I'm like, oh, I've got a lot of So th- those are a handful for sure, but I-, I-, I would say like Annie Dillard, you know, I- I- these are writers that writers that are blending, especially mother daughter, the story of female initiation. Uh, it doesn't always have to be mother daughter, but um, and and nature and ecology and their surroundings is I'm I'm fairly obsessed. I think that's a a go to for me. Yeah, you're making me want to read all these books. You know, uh, <laughs> like getting back into like the outdoors even. And, you know, here I am mm-hmm. in New York City. I don't know. Your your reverence for nature is is like infectious, really. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's the other, you know, that's the other point of of the book, as you said. Like what was what what was the journey that you came into? What did you learn? I mean, you know, if if my mother is gonna go, what what mother will hold us, you know? And that is that to me is mother nature and and that's been a long time relationship that I feel like anytime I, I feel unmoored, unmothered or unmoored in the world, that's the place I go. So I feel there is a, there is a reverence. You are right. That is the correct word for it, for sure. Well, I'm so sorry for your, the loss, the way it has happened. And, you know, I I know mother nature can be there, but as a substitute, and I'm sorry, you know, it can't be easy. It's both, right? It's both and that, that lost my dear, my mom, I get, I do get to, she is still here. I do get to visit her next week. She's up in Canada. And so I'm, I am excited to be able to see her uh, next week. I, I said lot. I mean, when you talk about the loss, the grief, I don't know. I felt like you had used those terms, even though she is alive, which is why I said that. Yeah. yeah is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the, especially with degenerative disease, this is the landscape, right? There's there's acute loss and grief happening day to day. There's anticipatory grief happening all the time. And those are ever present, even though the person is still living. So absolutely, those are the right terms. Yeah. Um, and what is, how often, what is your relationship now? Like, how often do you see her? Like, what is the... Well, geez, COVID and borders have thrown a wedge in in how often I was able to visit from 2020 through to about 20. 21, I was able to go visit. So really the long story is, you know, over the last three years, two and a half, three years, I've really been only been able to see her about three or four times, which has been, you know, excruciating. And, 
you know, maybe the like spiritual mystic mythologist archetypal person in me is, is attempting in some way to prepare for, I mean, this might be part of the anticipatory grief, but is attempting to prepare for having a more spiritual relationship with her. Mm -hmm. And so I've been doing my best, you know, to feel the grief of not being able to see her as often as I would like, but also to move into a place where I'm beginning to develop a new and different relationship with her. So I feel like there's like a transition happening. Yeah. I feel like you also wrote so beautifully about your dad and his caretaking. Oh my gosh. He's a prince. He is a gem. Yeah. I mean, there. it's to be quite frank, I feel like it's a living, breathing notebook, the notebook, like their high school sweethearts, their love story is is epic. I mean, I, I don't, I don't get into the, like, to the degree in the book about their love story, but it's really, really unbelievable. And he tells me still to this day that like, he's, he's, and I've watched it, you know, especially the beginning stages of her Alzheimer's. Like I watched them fall more in love with each other during that time. And, and even to this day, whenever I see him go in and visit her with him, he is just still so in love with the babe. That's what he calls her. The babe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, that is, that has been one of the greatest gifts of my life to point blank to see their love story and to grow up, you know, in, in that and then to see its evolution and its deepening through this, this journey with Alzheimer's and dementia is just, I, I, I mean, I can't think of a bigger gift in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh in the midst of not a gift, right? <laughs> yeah. And what, what is your day-to-day life like now? Like, what do you do when you're not or doing your experimental new book? When I, when I'm doing <laughs> writing, well, so I, so I still do writing, you know, obviously there's still, you know, tending to do with, you yes, know, this, an author, yes. you know, there's still um, tending to do with book publication and promotion and all of that. Um, on, on the other side of things, um, you know, for about 10 years now, I've been doing private practice coaching and I run retreats that are really about exactly what I was talking about before that kind of you know, women I feel move through or have an opportunity to move through like four master initiations. There's maiden, there's mother, there's autumn queen, there's crone. And so we tend to, the business over the last handful of years has has tended to work with people who are moving through those types of initiations and transformations in their own life. So that's been happening for 10 years. So a lot of my day-to-day looks like private practice inside of coaching, or I'm not a therapist, but, but to give people an insight, like that's what it looks like. I'm on zoom having an hour long conversation, usually with a variety of different clients. And then we do different retreats, which, which have just restarted again this year and have been just such a joy. I mean, you know, this, you've been doing so many events. It's such a joy to be back with people and connecting on that kind of energetic level. I've missed that so much. So that's, that's also what life looks like. Sometimes I'm doing like three day weekends or four day weekends, you know, usually in some sort of nature-based setting with a handful of different women, really looking at the stories of our lives. And it's not necessarily summer writing retreats, some are not, um, but it really is looking at you know, what is the narrative that we're, that we're living in? You know, the root word of narrative comes from um, knowing. So it's how do we sink into our lives in a, in a deeper and richer way to kind of 
um, understand or hear or live and breathe into the aliveness of those of those narratives and those knowings. So yeah, I love that side of the work too. And I I feel so grateful because listening to, you know, hundreds, if not thousands now of of stories of women in their own lives has created a richness, I think, in my own storytelling that I I am eternally grateful for. Yeah. I love that. So what advice, last question, what advice would you give for to aspiring authors or to the clients that you see or to keep them going or all of that? Well, I think to aspiring authors, my advice would be don't look too far ahead. I, I remember being asked as soon as I told people I was, you know, going to start writing a book, they would, th- people would always ask like, oh, like, where are you publishing it? It's like, uh, that's too, you know, my advice is to just say, I'm writing it. I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing and to sit down and write. And there will come a time where you might have to think about, should I get an agent? Should I get a publisher, etc. But I think there's a lot of people that get held back from the actual writing because they think, oh, I don't have those things yet. So I guess I can't or shouldn't write. And I'd say, hold up, write. <laughs> that would be my main advice is just to get into that and do that. You know, my, my, as you said, in, in, in the other realm, in the coaching realm, my advice for women, I really feel like all wellness is being right with time which which really to me means is my physical body, my mental body, my emotional body, my energetic and spiritual body, like all four of those, are they in the same place at the same time? So often our emotional body is in the past. Our mental body is shooting forward to worry about X, Y, Z. Our physical body is like, we are disassociated from them, you know? So that is my main advice is what can we do to bring all of those bodies to the same place at the same time. That feels to me like my definition of thriving and flourishing in this world. And it's a little bit different than kind of just what we've come to know as mindfulness. This is a more, uh, you know, no pun intended, embodied kind of way of getting there. But that would be that that's maybe that that's not just my advice for other people. That's my advice for me. Like when I wake up in the morning, that's, <laughs> Am I that's all the best here? kind of advice. It's like, what do you live by that? I mean, yeah. that is the best. This has been so interesting. I'm so inspired by you. And, you know, again, your book was absolutely beautiful and poignant and just really soulful. And I'm not surprised that you are that way to chat with. <laughs> so, so thanks for coming on. Well, thank you, Zibby. That's, this has been a lovely conversation. Thanks for waking up so early. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. I hope I see you okay, in person. Thanks, Take yeah, care. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? 
Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.